Welcome everyone to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now. Hi everyone, this is Ray McKinley. Welcome to our weekly podcast, Ride the Elephant Today. We're really excited to talk with Brian this morning about a great topic. And Brian, say good morning first of all and we'll get started. Hi everyone, it's good to be back. Thanks Doc. Yeah. So, Brian, I want to start today's conversation with a statement I make in my book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success. And I state in there, what we believe says a lot about what we fear, and what we fear says a lot about what we believe. Brian, what do our fears say about what we believe? And what do our beliefs say about our fears? Well, I think that if a person has a mindset of concern or worry or fear, then there's probably layers to where that's coming from, right? And one of those layers has got to be belief. And that would be your position. And I believe that too. I've come to believe that over the years, that belief can affect your mindset day in, day out. So if you're plagued with a lot of worry or anxiety or social fear of what people are going to think about you, fear of gossip, fear of judgment, and the list could just go on and on and on of trauma from the past. You have that ever-present sorrow from that trauma. And if anything starts to come up that even remotely resembles the trauma from the past, then it can be very stress-inducing and almost paralyzing for highly traumatized individuals. So the world is kind of unsafe. It makes sense that People have a wariness about the world around them. And if all your beliefs about those fears and concerns are unexamined, then you're kind of going to stay stuck in that day-to-day worry. Whereas if you think about the beliefs that are connected to the fear and start to examine those things, you can start to unpack the roots of your concerns. Yeah, I think one of the things that happens with our fears is oftentimes we're very clear to articulate our fears to what we're afraid about, what we don't like, what bothers us, what we're anxious about. And we're oftentimes can articulate that. However, we don't often go to our core beliefs that could be the underpinning of our fears. Unless we start considering what is the underpinning of our fears, it's not likely we'll ever change those fears and how those fears have an effect on us in our life and how they affect everything we say and think about and do. And I want to look today at what the connection is between our fears and what we believe. Because I think if we are willing to invest in considering and examining our beliefs, that lead to our fears, we may be able to make some changes in that regard. And that's my hope, is what we can do to mitigate some of the fears that exist in our life. You know, discussions about fears have been around for a long, long, long time. So this is not the first discussion that we as humans have had about this concept of fear and how it affects our lives. 
interestingly enough, the greatest historical document, the one that's been around the most and read the most, is the Bible. And the Bible states 365 times the concept of fear by saying frequently, fear not, do not be afraid. When you start considering that it says that over 300 times in the Bible, what is that really saying to us? What is the biblical stories and the message coming from the Bible to us about do not be afraid, fear not? And why does it say it so often? Is it because it's so prevalent? Is saying do not be afraid enough to get us to stop being afraid? It's interesting to me that the Bible mentions it so often and we don't see it really having much effect, or does it? <laughs> well, I know that you know some really good, wise, and well-read ministers that could probably speak to this topic, but I don't really know why we don't take those words to heart. I think that fear is just so real, and that's what you see, and so that's what you get. And it's hard to shake someone's focus off of that. And, you know, this is my opinion. There's other scholars who would second this opinion that the Bible is an ancient cultural document that is pseudo-historical that has these really interesting stories in it. Just like Aesop's fables and the Iliad and the Odyssey and other stories and legends and myths our heroes are always facing and overcoming fear. So there seems to be a ubiquitous challenge from our ancestors to rise to the occasion and deal with our fear, to confront our fear and face temptation, or however you want to express that. But this is something that is just part of the human experience, and we've been wrestling with it for a long time. Yes, and what does it take to change that, and do we have the ability to change that? The great author Kipling wrote, of all the liars in the world, sometimes the worst are our own fears. And I find that very interesting. And I think there's truth to that, Brian, because my observation and my experience has been many of the things that I have feared over the years, really, I've come to realize aren't true. So what is it about us holding on to untruths about our personal history, untruths about things we've heard? And why is it that we hang on to these untruths and we don't really go back and ever really reconsider them, but we let them manifest in our mind and continue to create these fears that we have that affect everything we say and do? You know, it's something that it's like some of these other things like excuses in particular kind of relates to this. It's just so there and in your face, and it's so habitual. Unless you change the habit or you were somehow naturally raised to be incredibly bold and courageous, then you're going to find yourself afraid <laughs> from time to time. And we've had many debates about the nature of this and how there's a healthy fear that keeps you safe and keeps you from saying something inappropriate in front of someone, you know, a fear of your parents' wrath will keep you from swearing in front of grandma. And that's a healthy fear because you don't, shouldn't be swearing in front of grandma. 
and yet there is other fears that are debilitating, not healthy. So some questions are starting to come up for me, like how do you distinguish between those two types of fear? And then how do you jettison unhealthy fear and maintain a healthy relationship with healthy fear? Maybe there's a better word for healthy fear, like respect. I don't know. How would you distinguish debilitating fear and healthy fear? Well, I think debilitating fear can lead to a lot of strong emotions. They can lead to a lot of depression, anxiety, apathy. It can freeze us into indecision. So debilitating fear can keep us stuck and keep us from moving forward. They are roadblocks. Then there's another fear that actually can cause us to engage, can be a catalyst, can be an initiative for us to do something that we haven't been doing before, to take action, to consider a different way. So I think a healthy fear can be a motivator and an inspiration for us. A debilitating fear can keep us stuck and hold us back. And I think they're distinctly different. We use the same word, fear, but I love throwing an adjective in front of it that defines it better. And I like the term debilitating fear and healthy fear and an unhealthy fear. So I think that many of the references in the Bible talk about fear, fear of the Lord. I think in that way, you're using the same word twice, fear not and don't let fear get in your way. And then again, fear the Lord. And that fear should be one of inspiration and motivation and cause you to pursue something that you might not consider. So any thoughts about that differentiation? Do you like the differentiation? Or have you thought of a different way to differentiate these two aspects of fear that we're talking about this morning? I'm with you on that. And it's interesting because I think there is a curious fine line between those two things. And I don't know if we can get into all of that, but it seems to me that there has to be some beliefs or mantras that you can have to get yourself in a mindset where you have a deference and a respect for law and punishment, and you have a genuine desire to abide and do good in the world, whether that's through charity or through your relationship. But most people, I think, want to take a well-rounded approach to being good once they have that inspiration to abide by those principles. And then other people are just never, ever, ever going to make that decision to be good for whatever reason. And I think that unhealthy fear, by its nature, causes damage. And then how do we repair that damage and move on from it? So I guess there's two different mantras that I'm looking for, beliefs that support deference and respect and healthy relationship with authority and mantras and beliefs that help support the recovery from trauma so that you're not overcautious in the future as you move into the future. You can take bold steps towards true success and not be intimidated by 
other people not be worried about judgment and not be hung up on dogma. I'm curious what some of the beliefs are that you've come up with that a person can try on in their mind. You know, I want to get to some of those too, and I want to give context to them. And I think it's important that we dissect this word fear a little bit more as we've been doing. And then that'll start bringing some clarity to all of us as we start looking at the core beliefs that need to exist in order to mitigate the effect of fear. It reminds me of when you were talking about the book, Daring Greatly, by Brene Brown. It was a great book. And in that book, she starts her sentence by saying, when I look at narcissism through the vulnerability lens, then she goes on to say, I see the shame-based fear of being ordinary. I see the fear of never feeling extraordinary enough to be noticed, to be lovable, to belong, or to cultivate a sense of purpose. Interesting summary of the effect of shame-based fear of being ordinary. Yeah, and you're living in a world of one-upmanship and worldly success as defined by Instagram and TikTok views and salaries that can afford the bigger house, the better car. All of those things can be blessings when treated as such. But the pursuit of those things over the pursuit of the health and well-being of your family relationship, the health and well-being of your community, you know, that's a tremendous stumbling block. And there's a curious shame around being ordinary. And I think that one of the major missing pieces here, and you can tell me what you think about this, to unlock that issue. I don't know what Brene Brown's approach would be to this, because I haven't read Daring Greatly. Although that's been out for a while, and I hear it's wonderful. It's one of those ones that I should get into. But I think that we have a conformity issue and a obsession with pursuing what others view as success and success statuses. And those are nice things to have, and they should be enjoyed if you're able to enjoy them. But again, I'm talking about looking at true success, which is different, and that is something that derives from a uniqueness and a talent that you have. It's an indisputable fact that every individual person has a uniqueness about them, and they have a special calling somewhere at some point in time in the grand scheme of life. And if they choose, they can crank that up and make that talent, that specific thing that they're good at, or that specific life experience that made them really attuned to this certain can of knowledge, that is something, if they focus on it, they can really potentiate that into something extraordinary, and that's their time to shine. And I really believe that. So that would be just my little suggestion about how to have an extraordinary moment in ordinary circumstances by dialing in something that you are especially built for or adept at. Shame is never going to be good. Like when I said there's a fine line between crime and punishment and healthy fear, that shame factor is part of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about that fine line. I have punished my children 
and I've seen the shame in them after the punishment. And then I go, oh, shoot. I didn't want to make them feel shame. I wanted more or less to correct the behavior, but shame is like this odd side effect of correction. So again, then how does a good leader dial back from the wrath and dial it into something more appropriate? I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but just more esteem building, less shame inducing, and to use those techniques to affirm and support the people around them. Maybe it's kind of a positive reinforcement thing versus negative reinforcement thing. But shame seems to never, ever, ever be good. So healthy fear or a respect or deference seems to be built by healthy authoritative person using maybe affirmation and, I don't know, gentler forms of behavioral correction, try and help that person grow and mature and not have the side effect of fear and shame. Interestingly enough, when you talk about shame and shame-based fear and the situations you talked about with your children, I think there's something that happens that leads to shame-based fear. And I would call that value judging. I think we tend to value judge ourselves critically. And we basically find ourselves comparing ourselves to others. We find that oftentimes when we're corrected or given feedback or punished or given consequences, we go to comparison. We compare ourselves to somebody else, a sibling or another person. And sometimes that comparison is less than, and some of the times it's greater than. What you're bringing up is when it's less than, we have a tendency to feel shamed. And I think that's the core of being affected by value judging and having value judging be something that causes us to feel less than is a lower self-esteem. And I don't think we do enough to elevate the esteem of people. And when I think a person who has a low esteem, a low respect for themselves, they don't feel strong. You know, when Brene Brown said feeling lovable and belonging and cultivate a sense of purpose, did that come before the fear or did the fear lead to that? And I think the fear is the emotion that comes with something that's deeper inside. To me, it's that feeling less than, it's feeling unworthy, it's feeling the level of respect we have for ourselves, how we think other people see us. And we make these judgments about ourselves that allow us to feel shamed. When you start making judgments about ourselves, I think that's then a going to what is our core belief behind that judgment. So if we have a core belief that leads to us having a negative judgment about ourselves, and then we feel shamed by that, and we don't like that, so we have a fear of that, okay? But does the fear of that cause that to change? My belief is that the fear of that in itself will not cause it to change. You have to go to something deeper seated inside of the individual to bring about that change. And to me, that's simple as a core belief that you have about yourself. When you have high respect for yourself, you don't compare yourself to other people in a negative way. You don't judge yourself negatively compared to other people. And when you have high respect for yourself and high esteem, you can listen to someone giving you negative feedback and take it constructively 
and not take it in a debilitating, hurtful, oh, this is crushing me. I'm being shamed here. The only reason you feel shamed is because you don't have a high degree of respect for yourself, standing firm on that. That's the part that I want to have the reader and the listener consider is what is the core belief that's at the root of this fear feeling that we have as it relates to not feeling good enough or not being special or feeling shamed or not feeling extraordinary enough. That's an interesting term for me. It's like, I'm not feeling extraordinary enough. When did extraordinary become a virtue or become something to strive for or something to teach your kids to feel? I'm extraordinary. David Brooks, the author and columnist, he was talking at the Education Nation a few years ago about a research that was done on high school seniors. They were asked a question before they graduated from high school in the 50s. Do you feel special? Do you feel extraordinary? And interestingly enough, only 12% of the people felt special, extraordinary. Well, back in the 50s, we didn't tell people how special they should be. We didn't teach them that. But 12% said they felt special. They kept doing that survey every 10 years. And the most recent survey just done a few years ago found that over 80%, it was 82% of the students in high school said, yeah, I feel special. Well, it's gone from almost 10% to over 80% in just 50 years. What is going on that's causing us this feeling special, this extraordinary need that we're talking about here? So again, we have to refine what we're talking about as we lay this out, where our fears come from, the effect that fears have, having good fears, having healthy fears and unhealthy fears, looking to see how fears make us feel ashamed and we're afraid of being made to feel ashamed. We're afraid to be made to feel less than. We're afraid to be less than extraordinary. I don't think those are healthy fears. And I think that's something we need to look at and what can we do to mitigate that? And that goes back to, again, to beliefs that stand up to fears. One belief is life is a series of opportunities. I've heard you give lectures on this topic, Brian. Life is a series of opportunities instead of a series of problems. It's a choice we make. So when we start seeing life as a series of opportunities versus a series of problems, how does that belief mitigate a negative belief, as you would describe it, Brian? Yeah, that's a belief, and it can change your mindset but you have to be active with it. It's not a passive thing. You have to be assiduously searching for the silver lining in everything that happens, which is really hard to do sometimes because pain and suffering can be immensely demoralizing. And when you're demoralized, it's hard to find the silver lining, but it is there. And there's always potential for you to capitalize on that silver lining, right? Yes. And... I don't mean that the best intentions or seizing on opportunities is always going to yield some tremendous result, but I'm saying it's a great starting point. And so to approach fear, 
and fear-inducing situations or maybe even just stress-inducing situations with an opportunity mindset, you're already starting out in a more heroic position because you're already looking for ways where your personal power can affect the situation. And you're saying, okay, this sucks, but I'm capable of X, Y, and Z. And I'm not capable of D, E, and F, but I know Jimmy, and Jimmy is capable of D, E, and F. So right there, you're just thinking of what can I do? What can the people in my life do? And how can we solve my problem? How can we solve this person's problem? How can we solve a big, hairy problem? The same attitude applies to all the little problems of life. It's easier said than done, obviously, but I think it's just to start with a mindset of I have the opportunity to make a difference here. I have the opportunity to have some growth here. I mean, every good business model centers on solving a problem. What is the problem with this product? Let's create a new product that's better than that product that solves that problem that other products have. What are things that are missing in people's lives? We're all fans of entertainment. We're all fans of comedy. We're all fans of simulation. Things that give us a chance to be raptured away from the pain and suffering of our everyday lives. So that is something that we value. I mean, we pay for it. We pay to go to the movie theater. We pay to go to the theme park. We pay for the video game. To have that momentary reprieve from the stress of life. So that rapture, that escape has value. So if you are an entertainer, if you're a singer, if you're a comedian, if you can make people laugh, you are now creating value in their lives. People value organization. If you're an organizer, there's always something that you have within you that is missing in someone else's life. And you can capitalize on that talent and say, that problem that you have, that's an opportunity for me to do what I'm best at. Exactly. Right? And it applies to every line of work you can possibly conceive of. And if you go with that attitude of, I'm solving problems today. This person has a problem with their meal. I'm going to work with the chef to solve it. This person has a problem with their bite and it's causing more holistic damage to the mouth. Me and the assistant and the hygienist are going to work with the patient to fix this problem in their mouth. It's just a mindset of saying, I'm not afraid of this problem because I believe that me and my team, we are capable of, if not solving it, at least making steps. And I think that certainly looking at it from that perspective is one way to mitigate fear because seeing life as a problem, fear often follows that. Another belief that's more related to something that's happened in the past and I think we kind of beat ourselves up sometimes the things that happened in the past and we end up leading to some fears that we have because of things that happened. One of the beliefs that I've loved to take on and it's worked very well for me is I was doing the best I could with the prevailing awareness I had at the time. In other words, I've looked back at the situation and said, well, when I did that, it really caused a problem. I really did this. It really did that. And it had a negative effect on other people and negative effect on me. But if I look at it, I'll go back instead of beating myself up about that or judging myself about that in a negative way, 
I just say I was doing the best I could with the prevailing awareness I had at the time, which in fact is true because through the mistakes I made back then, I have new awarenesses and new knowledge. So now I have my prevailing awareness today is different than my prevailing awareness was at that time. So by just going back and looking at that and saying, hey, I did the best I could with what I knew at that time, but now I know a lot more. And again, seeing that experiences that I had back then, because of that leads to a third belief I have, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And we've oftentimes heard people say that, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. In other words, those challenges I had in life, the things I had to overcome, the prevailing awareness at the time, now I have learned so much through that experience. So now I'm a stronger person because of it. So when you start looking back instead of beating yourself up and being afraid and having fear-based beliefs that came out of those experiences, see them as something that was good and see it as something that had a benefit and not only benefit to you, but the benefit for your family, for the people you work with, for your coworkers, for your children. I mean, those experiences certainly can benefit you now. And so instead of being afraid of those things and feeling that way, look at it differently and say, hey, I was just doing the best I could with the prevailing awareness I had at the time. Yeah, I think that that doesn't happen unless you have self-esteem. In other words, if you're narcissistic, then you're not going to go back and revisit those things and have those thoughts. You're going to try and push them away. But if you have self-esteem and you have a genuine desire to grow and improve and learn from the past and learn from your mistakes, then you can light a lantern of self-esteem and walk down that dark path fearlessly until you've dealt with your crap. And so it exactly. seems to me that what you're talking about, self-esteem is kind of a prerequisite for handling that rubbish and yes. growing beyond it. And handle it without shame. Right, And I think right. that's a very important point. You know, yeah. I think the other thing that happens in those situations, and I think this applies to increasing our esteem, the level of respect we have for ourselves. I think there's a time I felt I did things in my life that I was unlovable. I couldn't be loved by my parents. I wasn't being loved by my girlfriend. And that created a lot of negativity and a lot of fear in me. And I had to just really look at that and say, you know, I am lovable just the way I am. And when I look back at when I first said that to myself, probably 25 years ago, I thought, well, how corny is that? And I think maybe the listener might say, how corny is that? I'm lovable just the way I am. Isn't that the name of a song? Well, it might be. But the reality is, is when you do, in fact, love yourself just the way you are, accepting yourself for the way you are, knowing that you're a work in progress, knowing that you're going to do better tomorrow than you did today, and having that belief and having that esteem, those things feed each other. The level of respect you have for yourself really comes out of a love feeling that you have for yourself. And I think that belief has been a key for me to transition fear. Oh, boy. Hey, I've always had a problem with that. When people say, this kind of relates to the I'm special thing, I guess. I love myself just the way I am or I accept myself just the way I am. And I've had to really evolve that thought because I've always went when people say that. Because I really, I've never been able to buy that or apply that to myself. I really envy people who can. 
I mean, what a wonderful life you must have to genuinely say, I love myself just the way I am. I think that one can say, I love myself, period, and I'm a work in progress. To say, I love myself just the way I am, feels to me to be a little naive about your true shortcomings and how disappointed you can be in yourself sometimes and all of that stuff, which, again, if you look at those true emotions about the things that you don't like about yourself, you can say, okay, I don't like that about myself. What's the opportunity there? Can I change it? Is it an opportunity for me to give someone else a job to do because I need help in that regard? Mm -hmm. So you just take a different approach to always growing yourself. And to me, loving myself just the way I am is more of an outlook or a goal than it is my genuine present feeling about myself. But I don't think that it's necessarily a hindrance always to the potential to have self-esteem and love and self-respect. Yeah. I don't I know think, how to break that down further, but I think, yeah. you know, I think love that you get from your parents, sometimes that love can be conditional and sometimes it's unconditional. And I think many people have had different experiences with conditional and unconditional love. And I think most people don't understand what the difference is when I mention that. And when I say I'm lovable just the way I am, basically I'm loving myself, not conditionally. I'm loving myself unconditionally. That is a key. And knowing that loving yourself unconditionally also knows that you're not perfect. And love and perfection does not equate. Love can happen in imperfection and oftentimes even more strongly affected in cases of imperfection when somebody just isn't happy with just the way they are or you're not happy with someone. I mean, I'm not happy with the way my kids are some of the time, but I love them just the way they are and I'm not happy about that. And if I'm doing that with my kids, why can't I do it with myself? I think that's the point of separating the love as being conditional and unconditional. And I think that all the listeners need to ask that question. I think another belief that I want to make sure we get in here is I believe that the actions rooted in good character produce the best outcome, even when I can't see how. And what I mean by that is I think there's certain principles and certain qualities or virtues that we can make a part of our life consistently like when we're available and we're grateful and when we're sincere and when we're truthful and when we're resourceful and when we're sensitive. And when we look at some character qualities, as long as our actions are rooted in good character qualities, I believe that the best outcome is going to happen no matter what. So I'm going to be truthful no matter what in these situations because Even if the truth might cost me right now, I know by being truthful in the long run, I'll get the best outcome no matter what. So a lot of times I can mitigate my fear by attempting to be a person of good character. And the other final belief that I want to make sure that we get in here is what other people think of me is none of my business. And that's been a key one for me because I just finally said, Hey, what other people think of me is none of my business. That's their deal. What I think of me is what's important. What other people think of me is their problem. And you know what? In the same way, what I think of them is none of their business. So that's been an important belief for me to mitigate fear in my life. Brian, 
We have just a minute to go. Do you have any final thoughts on mitigating fear based beliefs that can help us mitigate fear? Those beliefs, I think if they're tried on, if you just speak them to yourself, be mindful of them as you go through your day, you'll feel stronger and you'll feel capable and you'll always be reminded, hey, we're all doing the best we can. I don't need to be afraid. I don't need to worry about what other people think because I know that I have value. I know that I can turn my talents into something good. And it's kind of like these little mantras are something that you just have to try on and see what happens. Yeah. And that's my final thought. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, you're Uh, welcome, Brian. Yeah, this is a very interesting topic. Thanks for being thought-provoking. It's really interesting because this is not something that someone can really tell you how to be. This is something you need to decide how to be. Each of us as individuals need to make a decision and a choice about what is going to be at the core of our beliefs that's going to cause us to respond in fear or in faith, trust, hope, courage. So I think those things can really play out for us as we look at this topic. So I want to thank everyone for joining us for the Ride the Elephant Today podcast and Hopefully you join us next week. Have a great week, everyone. Dr. Ray McKinley is a speaker, author, and coach. In his new book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, Dr. McKinley addresses the crisis in personal leadership and what you can do about it. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week. 